0: the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca. Scroll down on the homepage and fill out the reach out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Jonah chapter 1, 1 to 10. Many of you uh, have heard about the terrorist group called ISIS, who are known as the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. And if you are aware of them, you know how they were torturing and beheading Christians. um, We heard those news. And anyone who thought of going in that region was probably scared. I remember in 2015, my wife and I were visiting Egypt, and we were at Red Sea. And from Red Sea, we wanted to go Mount Sinai, which was about nine, nine and a half hours drive. And we wanted to go there, but we were told that we should not go there because it's not safe. So out of fear, we dare not to go there. And I think many other people would have the same situation out of fear they wouldn't dare to go there. Uh, I I tell you this because that's the story we we have before us. Uh, God calls his people to go to places, as Heinz earlier said, how would you respond to the people who you don't like? What would you do? That, that's kind of the, the story that we, we have here. Uh, may, many of you know the story of Jonah. You, you know what that is about. If you don't know, let me give you a brief summary. Uh, the story is about Prophet Jonah, who was called by God to go to Nineveh. Instead of going to Nineveh, what does he do? He runs the opposite direction, Nineveh, which is modern-day Iraq, but instead he runs to Tarshish, which is modern-day southern Spain. And then we, we read in the story that God, by his providence, provide a great fish. And many of you pause right there because the story is about the great fish. But we fail to see the, the story that this book is not about the great fish. Rather, it is about great God. C. Campbell Morgan, a British preacher, said this. Men have been looking so long at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. Our focus has been on the fish, but less on God. And that's the reason that we have this struggle in our current culture. People struggle to see God as great and sovereign. Thus, the main purpose of this book is to remind us the compassion that God has for all people including the pagan Ninwites and the sailors. And the book of Jonah was written probably around 760 BC. Unlike the other minor prophet, this book is written as a story to remind us about the prophet's personal struggles that he had. Imagine you sitting with, with, with someone who's in their 80s and you ask them, what lessons did you learn from your ministry time or life? What are the mistakes you made? How would you do things differently? And you wonder what kind of response they will, they will give you as they reflect in their, their journey in their life. That, that's kind of what we have with Jonah. Jonah is reminding us. Therefore, as we study the books over the next few weeks, we'll uh, learn several things. There are several themes that will emerge from the book. First, God calling his people to go to places where we don't want to go. Second, God is sovereign over events and everything else. God is determined to get his message to the nation. And God calling people to repentance. And these are some of the, the themes that will merge uh, from these four chapters. Over the next few weeks, we will be surprised. will be encouraged. will be disturbed. And this book will demand from us an action that will require a response from us in how we respond to God's call on our life. So to our passage, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, I hope you have found this by now. I give you enough time, right? If not, you can go back, look at the table of contents, and you will find it there. It's okay. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, the outline is simple. Expect to be surprised by God's call, verses 1 and 2. Expect to be disturbed by Jonah's resentment, verse 3. Expect to see God's sovereignty at display, verses 4 to 10. Expect to be surprised by God's call, verses 1 and 2. Shortly after, if you read the, 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 the book's 1st and 2nd Kings, you will see that shortly after Elijah and Elisha, another prophet named Jonah arrived on the scene in the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam, the second, which we read in 2nd Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And as you read that passage, we can imagine that Jonah had a successful ministry because his prophecy about Increasing or extending the borders came true. And from this, we can assume that Jonah was well loved by everyone there because his prophecy came true. And no wonder God calls Jonah and commands him to go to Nineveh. So we start at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord, I'll be reading from NIV. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come before me. That the phrase, the word of the Lord, shows God initiating to speak to man, not the other way around. And one commentator writes, this is essence of the divine privilege, to speak to man... So bringing him into voluntary, intelligent participation in the divine plan for his life and for the people of the world in which he lives. So God commands, calls Jonah, and what does he say? Arise, get up, and go. Arise, get up. He doesn't say, hey, Jonah, you may go or you should go. It doesn't say like that. It says arise, get up and go. It's a definite firm command, firm call to get up and go and do what? Preach. In other words, Jonah was giving the marching orders by God himself and the destination was Nineveh. Now I want you to imagine as, as you're hearing this, as you've read this story, what was going through Jonah's mind as he heard this? God comes and calls him, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's response, you want me to go where? Nineveh. Nineveh? Why Nineveh? Do you not know, God, they're terrible people. They're known for their brutality and the torture. I don't want to go there. And by the way, if I decide to, what, what do you want me to do there? And God says, I want you to preach against the city because this wickedness has come before me, and by wickedness, we don't know what was exactly happening, but according to the Old Testament terms, we were told that they were doing sins against God. They were perhaps torturing people. there was injustice, immorality, all of that stuff. And God tells Jonah that you need to go." And Jonah's like, "There's no way I'm going to do that. Why? Because Nineveh was one of the major Syrian cities and prophet Nahum. If you read the book of Nahum, you will see that in more detail. It explains what what, what Nineveh was like. Nahum chapter 3 verse 1 described it as the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without a victim. So no wonder Jonah is like, there's no way I'm going to go there. And also, in Jonah's time, Assyrians were the superpower. Everyone was scared of them. Nobody wanted to mess with them. Israelites, in fact, were being treated badly by them. And that's where Jonah was like, I don't want to go. Some scholars say that Jonah was ethnocentric, self righteous, and nationalist. He didn't want them to be saved. He wanted them to be destroyed. He didn't want them to experience God's grace. He wanted them to be demolished. R.C. Superl writes this. He's like, for any to wish for the damnation of another soul is an unthinkable grievance against the grace of God. Who am I to desire that someone else be damned when I escape damnation only through the grace of God and through the work that Christ has performed For me. So the question is Do you see yourself in Jonah? Do you see yourself in Jonah? Syria was not a nation easy to be loved by anyone's standard. It's no surprise that Jonah was reluctant. But what's more interesting, as we study this passage, the people we don't like, the place we don't want to go, those are the very people God placed in front of us. And then we come up with excuses. I don't want to go. I don't like them. I don't like how they look. I don't like how they talk. And all of that stuff. So God calls him. What happens when God calls you, to a people group, you don't know. And you come up with all sort of excuses, but deep down you know what's the real reason. We all act like Jonah at times, ethnocentric, nationalist, too focused on ourself. And what's God's trying to do to Jonah? That they too need to experience God's grace. So expect to be surprised by God's call. And second, expect to be disturbed by Jonah's resentment. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, but instead he runs to the opposite direction. Starting in verse 1 again, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. But... Those of you love reading the stories. As you're reading the story and all of a sudden you come across a word like this. That everything is going great at, up until this point, And all of a sudden you see there's this word called. But immediately you should be thinking, uh-oh, oh, something has just happened. It's going in a different direction now. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. Now, there's a map here on the screen. If you get the, get the map there, you should be able to see there. There's no map, apparently, I'm, I'm being told from there. Okay. So I'll tell you, Joppa was about 500 miles close to where Jonah should be going. Okay. Tarshish is, on the other hand, 2,500 miles. That's the distance. Jonah wanted to run as far as he could. He does not want to go where God wants him to go. Joppa, 500 miles. Tarshish, 2,500 miles away. How would you describe that? He's running away. Did he forget the words of Psalm 139? What does Psalm 139 say? Psalm 139, 7 to 12 says this. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. God, you are everywhere. Where can I run from you? You wonder at this point if you realize, man, I made a mistake. But what's more interesting, Jonah is not running away from the presence of the presence of God. He's running away from the call of God. God called him to go to Nineveh. He's like, "No, I'm going to go to the opposite direction." Not from the presence, because he knows that God is everywhere. We should be asking the question: Why did Jonah run away? And there there are a couple of possible reasons why Jonah ran away. First, he would have been the first prophet to go and preach outside of the land. All the other prophets have sent the messages, but they never traveled there. Second, there's a possibility that he was afraid that he might be rejected there, that his message will not be received, therefore he might be killed. The fear of rejection, fear of your own life. And the third possible reason could be that he preferred them to be destroyed. Which we see that he doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't want them to experience God's grace because he's too ethnocentric. This is why Jonah was reluctant to go and preach against Nineveh. Because he knew that upon hearing the message... They will repent and God will show compassion to them. And he didn't want that. I mean, how many of us act like that? I really want this person to experience what he did to me. I mean, I think about that. You're probably all saints, right? You never think that way. Come on. We all think that way. Do we not? God do something here. He doesn't want them to be because he knew that they would be doing that. In fact, if you read the whole book and read chapter four, Jonah's conversation with God in chapter four, verse two, where Jonah actually tells God, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate. God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. And how does God respond to Jonah's foolishness? A few verses later, God responds to Jonah at the end of the book. And if you read the book, you should know that this book ends with the question. And what's the question here? Chapter 4, verse 11, God asked Jonah this question. And I should not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from left, and also many animals. What do you want me to do? Do you not care about these 120,000 people and animals there? Because I have great concern from them. Now, anytime the book ends or anytime the story ends with the question, what's the purpose of that? The purpose of ending with the question is that, that the, the writer wants you to feel and experience how would you respond to this question? So how would you respond to this question when Jonah wants them to be destroyed? And God says, like, no, I have concern for these people. What's your reaction? What's my reaction? What's your response? What's my response to that? And he continues. And it just so happens that there he found a ship ready to take him the other direction. How many times in our lives when you're actually running away from God, it just so happens that things are ready to take us away from God. The ship is ready to take us away from God. Often we assume that the that, that readiness of the ship is a sign from God. Is it? It's not a sign from God. It's a lie. You often hear some people say, man, my marriage is a mess. And all of a sudden, I met someone else. And this someone else just is an answer to God's sending this person to, to get me out of this messy marriage or this relationship. And this is a sign from God for this individual to come into my life. Is that what the, what the Bible teaches us? No, it's a lie. We, we put those lies before us. And Satan's job is to have the ship ready to take us away from where we should have been going. That's his chief purpose. And that's exactly what happens with Jonah. He just so happens that the ship is ready to take him the other direction. That's Satan's job. That's exactly what's happening. The question is then, does Jonah's disobedience to God, God's call disturb you? Does Jonah's disobedience to God's call disturb you? Do you see yourself in Jonah? In other words, have you resented, have you disobeyed God's call on your life? Have you ran the other direction? And are you disturbed by your own resentment towards other people? It should disturb you, bother you. When you look back those days and times when we resented against certain people, we were not different than Jonah. So the prayer should be, God, make me less like Jonah and make me more like Jesus. Who's concerned for others, who has compassion for others. But Jonah and us, not so much. So expect to be surprised by God's call. Expect to be disturbed by Jonah's resentment. And lastly, expect to see God's sovereignty at Display Verses 4 to 10. You see, God commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he runs away in the opposite direction. And verse 4 tells us, Then the Lord sent great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break. You wonder if Jonah, for a second, forgot that God is sovereign over everything. He controls everything. He's the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything. And nothing happens without him. You you, you think about the story in the Gospels. When when Jesus is on the boat with the disciples. He's on the boat and suddenly we we read. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. So that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And you will see as you read this passage from Matthew, that that this this story, you see how relevant it is with the story of Jonah here. Suddenly a fierce storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is Jesus that the winds and the waves obey him? But Jonah the prophet does not obey. The winds and the wave obey, but Jonah does not. And then in verse five, 4 and 5 we read, Then the Lord sent a great, uh, great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Isn't this interesting as you read this? That the sovereign God is displaying his glory. God himself sending the storm, the wind. To remind them who has authority over all of this. The power of God is at work right now. That that the ship is threatening to break and they're starting to throw things to make the ship light. And I mean, think about this in our modern day technology. Just imagine that you're flying, going to Mexico. Many of you wish to be in Mexico or Hawaii right now. But just imagine, okay, just imagine you're 30,000 feet up in the air and all of a sudden there's turbulence and the plane is shaky. And you hear from the pilot, Ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelt. Everything's all right. The mother nature is doing this thing. Really? Why do you want me to fasten my seatbelt if everything is all right? It's not all right. And you're scared and you're calling it the mother nature. Well, think about the time when you're flying and because of the bad weather, your flight was delayed for several hours. And you're running out of patience. You got little kids with you and you're going crazy. You're like, man, this is just gong show. And all the flights are canceled. You cannot get anywhere. And what happens? All of a sudden the power goes out. There's no light. It's dark. And then God decides to send thunders and lights. And we don't like that because that's scary. And you hear someone say again, oh, this is the mother nature doing its thing again. It's not the mother nature. It's the hand of God that's displaying its glory. It's the power of God at display right there. And we see because of the fear, each cried out to their own God. And they just started to, to be scared. And in verse 5b, we read But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep, fell into deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. How strange. The man who's running away from God is being asked to call on your God. Because all the gods we've been calling, none of them are answering. Hey Jonah, wake up, arise. It's the same word that, 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 that we see in the first verse. Arise, get up. And the captain comes, he's like, arise, get up. Call on your God. James Brockner in his commentary writes this, the captain's request for Jonah to pray to his God is an incredible opportunity for Jonah to give witness to and demonstrate the power of the Lord of life, but he remains silent. He's silent. And just imagine what went through Jonah when the captain came to him. You want me to pray to God? I'm running away from him. Just think about this. When when you and I sin. And and there's this shame and guilt that you're like, I'm not worthy to come before God and to cry out to him or pray to him. And all of a sudden, a non-Christian individual comes to you like, hey, can you please pray for me? Has it happened to you? You're running away from God. You sinned against God. And someone who's not a Christian, they come to you like, hey, can you pray for me? Ah, oh, man. That's our reaction. Like, oh, man, you're embarrassed. What do you want me to say here? But we should know that whenever we sin, it does not only affect us. It also affects those around us. Jonah's sin, Jonah's running away, Jonah's disobedient resentment to God's call affected others in the ship. They were f- facing death there. Whenever sin enters into our life, does it not disturb the whole family and those around us? That's exactly what's happening here. Verse 7, that the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cause lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They're looking for someone to blame at this point. Of what's going on now? That, that's we us too. Something goes wrong, let's find out who we can blame on. Right? And it goes back not just because th- th- this is something new. It goes back in Genesis 1. What happens there? When, when Eve ate the fruit and God comes, what have you done? Well, not me. It's the woman that you brought before me. Come on. I'm innocent. Eve, what have you done? Why well, it's the serpent. And the, the blame continues on. Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity they cast. Lots and the lot fell on Jonah. It's like spinning the wheel, spin the wheel and let's see where the needles end. A needle keeps pointing to Jonah. Again and again and again. It's always Jonah. And you wonder what goes through Jonah's mind. We're told in the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 33. The lot is cast into the land. But it's every decision is from the Lord. You can cast all the lots. But God will expose you. Jonah you can hide In the deck, you can run as far as you can, but God will find you and he will expose you. Even the lots are controlled by our sovereign God. are they not? When the sailors found out that Jonah, they asked him five rapid fire questions. Verse 8. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? And the pagan sailors wanted to know at this point, who is this man who's causing all this trouble for us? And Jonah didn't realize that he's causing trouble for others. Troublemaker. And he answered in verse 9, I am a Hebrew. He answered the last question. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And upon hearing this, what was their reaction? So you worship the Lord, who's different from all these other gods? And the the, the sailors have been crying out to their gods, but none of them answered. But when Jonah says, I worship this God, because this God is different from all other gods, this God shows up? This God is the one who made the heaven and the sea. He's the one who controls everything. And what's their response? Jonah, what have you done? Are you crazy? Verse 10, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Why were the sailors terrified? Because the sailors have heard about the mighty power of God. Because these sailors are Syrophoenicians from the Canaanite descent. They have heard the power of God. So as soon as Jonah say, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea. They got scared. Of course, they got scared. Because they realized the wind, the sailors and the lots, each are agents of God's. For each agents of God for his purpose they all serve him so Jonah cannot run away and now if you continue to read the story you will notice that everyone in the story all these actors in the story if you're looking at that way they all pray to God verse 1 6 the captain went to him and said how can you sleep get up and call on your God Maybe he will take notice and we will not be perished. Verse 114, then the sailors cried out to the Lord. Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Chapter 2, verse 2, and Jonah said, from the fish's belly. What does he say? In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Chapter 3, verse 8, the king of Nineveh. He said this, let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And this is exactly what Jonah didn't want them to do. Because upon hearing the message, they will repent and God will show mercy to them. But Jonah wanted them to be destroyed. This is the God they cry out to. In this book, the question is, who is your God? And how do you describe your God? Who's your God and how would you describe him? A number of years ago, I was playing soccer with a friend of mine and he's not a Christian. And after the soccer game, he knew that I'm a pastor. So he, he comes and asks me, he's like, so, so I know that you pastor, but I need to ask you a, bunch, a couple questions. Basically, it's the one question he said. And this guy doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe that God exists, all of that stuff. He's like, help me understand. Who's God? What is he like? And how do you know that he's God? It's one question. Who's God? What is he like? And how do you know he's God? How would you answer that question? We ended up spending three hours talking about that. Do you know your God? Can you describe your God? So, what does this mean for us today, this morning, as you hear this story? First, God through Christ sends storms to remind us that He's sovereign who controls everything. God through Christ sends storms in our lives. The storms come in our lives. Why? Because He's reminding us who's in charge. We are not in charge of our lives. God is. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. We were told, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's the one. Who sends the storm to call to to get our attention. So don't say that it's a mother nature is god the mighty god who calls you even when we run away he still chases after us he comes after us come isn't this what he's doing with jonah jonah is running the other way around god's chasing him like no and by his providence he provides a great fish so god's sovereign second he sends storms to break our resentment about other people he sends storms to break our resentment about other people. Jonah was ethnocentric, nationalist. He didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He wanted them to be destroyed. So what does he do? He comes with a bunch of excuses. He runs the other way. It's like, no, I, do, do you not know that they're terrible people? And Jonah is not the first one to come up with excuses. If you remember the story of Moses, when God calls Moses And tells him, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. And and Moses comes with a bunch of excuses. You can read that in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. Same thing with Jeremiah. God calls Jeremiah, and what's Jeremiah's excuse? Sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. I wonder what would be the response. Like, say, love, you get on with this. I'm too young. I don't know how to speak. The question is, what's your excuse? When God calls you, what excuse will you have for God? I'm too young. I don't know how to speak. I don't know the culture. I don't know how they do certain things, all of that stuff. Or you may say, my life is comfortable here. I think I got everything under control, therefore I am good. I'm happy to give you money and you go do the thing. As far as for me, it's uncomfortable for me to actually get up and go to this other place, to other people group, because I can't. Easy to get money, harder to go. Which one is it? Whenever we come up with excuses, remember God will rock your boat to get your attention. God will rock your boat to get your attention and he will send you where he wants you to go. Because God is determined to save all people. God is determined to save all people. Lastly, third, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 reminds us that he, Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ came and died for all. If Christ died for all, then we as Christians have an obligation to respond to God's call by going where he wants to go. Not running the other way. Graham and Gladys stands. Uh, they, they were Australian missionaries served in India. And one night, Graham with his two boys, six and ten years old son, he went to a different city. They were helping him, working with the with people who are leprosy. So they, they go there to serve in a different area, which was kind of like jungle. Nobody's around. Not very many people there. And, and the, the local people, there's a group of uh, Hindu mobs. They didn't want them to be around because they are sharing the love of Christ. They go there, the dad and the two boys, and they're serving Uh, It's night, they don't have any place to sleep, so they they end up crashing in their Jeep. There they go and get ready to sleep in their Jeep. And all of a sudden, late at midnight, this Hindu mob surround the Jeep and puts the Jeep on fire. And you can hear the dad, Graham screaming, let my boys go at least. But no, they all died in that. And the news arrived to Gladys, the wife, and their daughter. What do you think will be the response of Gladys and the daughter who lost her father and two brothers? Forget this. We're packing up and we're going. They were devastated. And yet God in that very moment assured them that this is where he wants them to serve. And they continue to serve there. How do you do that? Because when God calls you, he also gives you grace and strength through Christ, who's with us. His spirit enables us to do that. We can't do this in our own strength, but by his strength, we can. And glad to still serve. So the question is, are you acting like Jonah? Or would you rather be more like Jesus? Because Jonah ran away, he was resentful. Is God calling you to go to a people group that you don't like? May our response to God's call will be like Gladys. I will serve you. I will stay here. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we can come. And be encouraged and be challenged and be reminded that you're good and compassionate, kind Father who did not hesitate to give his one and only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for all all of us because you love us. You're merciful, you're compassionate God. You're the God who wants all people to be saved So we thank you for the work of Christ. And now we ask that as we heard this word, that you, through this word, do your work in our hearts. Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? And would you help us to respond to your call in our lives? That we would not run away, but rather run to you and say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Would you, by your Spirit, change us and transform us and help us to be less like Jonah and more like Jesus? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.